I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're here with super producer Paul Deccant. You are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Charles Manson is dead, part two. Yes, last time we went over most of the background information you're going to need to know, all in our opinion. And we we talked about his history, Mm -hmm. uh, how he grew up, what he experienced when he was a kid, and then, you know, a young man. Played some of his tunes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. uh, May, for many of our listeners, be the first time you were introduced to, what was it, Garbage Dump? Garbage Dump, the music of Charles Manson. There's a lot more out there, actually, if you want to just get on YouTube. You can find quite a few selections. And in in the years after Helter Skelter, uh, numerous musicians also covered Mm -hmm. Manson music. Of course, Marilyn Manson did it, uh, several other prominent artists, and I think the Beach Boys also took some of his either lyrics or melodies. Wow. You know, guys, uh, I have to tell you, last night I watched the first episode of Mind, Mind Hunter mm-hmm. on oh, Netflix. Oh, great show, yeah. And, you know, it's dealing with the psychology of criminality and how the FBI in particular and other law enforcement began using psychology in trying to figure out why people do things. And it gets the big fat thumbs up from super producer Paul. Yeah, Ooh. oh yeah, huge. Wow, he is just flailing those thumbs around 
Wow, he has some really substantial thumbs. Did it just, did it communicate with you on a personal <laughs> level, Paul? I've rarely oh. seen you this excited. I see. I haven't even met Kemper, I think, yet. Yeah, Ed Kemp. Yeah, oh, Ed boy. Kemper. Oh, well, no, no spoilers well, well, here. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, it, what it does is really gives you a foundation for what it was to come uh, in terms of psychoanalyzing serial killers and trying to get inside the minds of serial killers, which was very taboo. The idea even in the show to even attempt this was in some way by the brass at the FBI like – uh, heresy, you know, it, it was a uh, tantamount to um, empathizing with these, you know, psychotic killers, and they were just not okay with it. But it was totally not seeing the forest for the trees, and not realizing this is a very valuable tool into, you know, figuring out what uh, current active killers how they might behave. Yes, and in the case of Charles Manson, it uses uh, his case and him, the the man himself. As a quick example of the way people or the way law enforcement thought about criminality at a certain time, right, as the Manson case was going through. And having just done the first part of this series on Mm -hmm. Manson, uh, I was fascinated by kind of the turns. And we've talked about serial killers before. We've talked about – and again, Charlie Manson was not a serial killer. Nope. But he was a criminal, at least in the eyes of – uh, the public in the eyes of the justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, just fascinating to think about it in that way, I guess. There's you could a, argue that he was a serial killer and that he just used other people as his weapons. I would disagree, respectfully, but I would disagree. Why? Well, there's an important differentiation we have to make, and there's some questions that still remain unanswered. For instance, is a person who commits multiple murders automatically a serial killer? The answer is no, is a uh, person who – so there will seem to be a theme or a compulsion in, in serial killing, right? And of course, there has to be mental illness. But if Manson is a serial killer – and this is controversial. If we consider Manson a serial killer because he did have a psychosis, right? He did seek to launch a race war. Uh, he ordered people to kill. The world is full of people who order other people to kill. Does that make them all serial killers? Does that make, for instance, a politician who sends people to war a serial killer? Any general that's ever existed? Someone who launches a drone? It's a, it's a tough question. These are very interesting questions. Right? Um, and the thing I wanted to get to surreptitiously through this whole Mindhunter thing is that this past episode, we really looked at how Charles Manson became Charles Manson. Mm. And at least the – the ways that a psychologist would look at it. Now, what we're going to get into this week is some of the conspiracy conspiracy theories surrounding him and perhaps other ways that this uh, monolith creature was created. And we highly recommend, of course, your life is your own, but we highly recommend that if you have not checked out part one of Charles Manson is Dead, you uh, check it out before you continue listening to this episode. Please. We'll wait. That was pretty fast, yeah. yeah. Faster than I expected, honestly, and I'm a bit worried. <laughs> I don't know what you did, but good good on you. Here's where it gets crazy. So one interesting point that we kept finding in the course of our research here was the idea that there were other as-of-yet unidentified Manson family murders. At this point, 
we can say that it's plausible. Mm-hmm. It's quite possible, but there hasn't been any concrete proof because several members of the Manson family agreed to uh, bring law enforcement to the remains of other murder victims that were not at that point tied to the family. So it's unfortunately not a far jump at all to imagine the family itself or or Manson mm-hmm. uh, as an individual may have committed murders that remain unrevealed today. At this point in recording, we don't know. And what we do see is that often when a criminal like this dies – more information comes out, right? Mm-hmm. I think in our earlier episode, um, may have been Noel mentioned the cancer that yeah. had been a family secret that was ult- ultimately led to Manson's demise. So it's possible that there are still secrets there. You know, Ben, in this area here of other murders, I really feel like uh, Gary Hinman, who was, uh, what is that, July 27th, 1969, is the first murder that we had, that we talked about in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And the the reasoning behind that was because, at least according to what we know, he wouldn't join Manson's rock band. Right. And right. to kill someone for something that seems so on the surface, so not important to the greater scheme of things, uh, it leads you to believe that perhaps somebody else did something that slighted Manson or part of the family that would cause them to kill. Hmm. I see what you're saying. It's- Still, though, it, it, you have both been in bands before, multiple bands, mm-hmm. and I know it can be an intense personal relationship, but you never really wanted to kill any one of your bandmates, did you? <laughs> I mean, it's... Have you ever been on tour? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, it's very much a marriage with every single person that's in the group or even touring with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but – I've never wanted to do any harm to anybody that didn't want to join one of my bands. Yes. The nature of consent at heart, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the nature of agreement. And we do promise that we will get, we will somehow explain that strange quote you heard at the beginning of part one. Uh, in another show that, uh, Noel and I do called Ridiculous History, we have an episode about the importance of informed consent. Have we plugged Ridiculous History on this show yet? A little bit, but we should plug it harder. Well, yeah, check it out, you guys. Ridiculous History. It's me and Ben talking about, uh, silly historical nuggets. And uh, sometimes things – there's a nice crossover between certain things we talk about on this show. I was going to say, yeah, sometimes – I mean it's always silly. Like the word ridiculous is in the title. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's just, in my mind, fascinating stuff that I didn't know existed. And I've worked for this site for a long, long time and I hadn't read a lot of these articles. And, of course, you know how I work. I'm probably going to try to – pull, cajole, or convince you to appear on a segment in the future. Please. Speaking of segments, we've got some new ones coming up uh, very soon with our nemesis, Jonathan Strickland. Oh, no. Who is doing great work as our complaint department on stuff they don't want you to know. So if if there's a problem you have with the Manson episode, please remember you can write to us directly. We are Jonathan.Strickland at HowStuffWorks.com. We're rewarding him for his good stewardship by giving him the opportunity <laughs> to torture us on Ridiculous History with quiz quizzes. Oh, that's brilliant. There's a karma to yeah. this. There's a karma to this. And somehow I got off scot-free. <laughs> no. It's because we like you. All things come around, Matt. 
There's checkers and there's chess, right? Oh, all right. All right. And there's an informed consent. One of the greatest ethical quandaries of human experimentation or social studies and one of the strangest and perhaps most disturbing examples of what happens when there's experimentation without informed consent in the United States would be the group of projects known collectively as MK Ultra. For years, the CIA conducted a series of just cartoonishly illegal experiments on civilians, on ethnic minorities. On CIA agents. Mm-hmm, on CIA agents themselves, on prisoners uh, and on soldiers. They were most famously using psychedelic drugs in efforts to create so-called Manchurian candidates to brainwash people to make them do things that they would not ordinarily do it's like yeah. a sleeper agent kind of situation or they can be activated mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that is certainly one of the major aspects but a lot of a lot of the stuff even just went into how do we get somebody to uh, be more responsive when they're being interviewed right more know? suggestible yeah right what well, yeah truth serum yeah S- uh sleeper agents and truth serums in the book helter skelter which we mentioned earlier by uh vincent bugliosi the prosecutor, the primary prosecutor for the Manson trial, the author discusses Manson's programming techniques in depth, and he says that a lot of the programming techniques that Manson used on his followers were similar to things that the U.S. military would use to indoctrinate people or that intelligence agencies would do. And you'll often find – this is true – you'll often find that Manson was also an inmate at Vacaville Prison during the time that the CIA was using prisoners there for MKUltra experiments. However – This is a big however. Yeah, this is a huge however. If you look at the timeline, this was after the Tate-LaBianca murders. So it's not – if you learn something from the CIA that he used in murders later, he did not learn it at Vacaville. Yes, it must have been previously. Uh, Maybe they were learning something from him uh, during that time. It is, however. Yes. Oh. Right? You blew my mind. Studying him a little bit. It is, though. It is interesting. Going back to our episode on uh, the CIA, the FBI, and – combating counterculture. Yeah. Right? It is interesting how quickly a pretty right-wing dude who's an avowed racist. Yeah, trying to start a race war. Mm-hmm, or at least ideologically fluid, right? Mm-hmm. Very much a member of the Church of Manson. It's interesting how he was so immediately and completely tied to the um, yeah, the threat of the violent left. It definitely feels strange. Like there was maybe some opportunity there. Right. At the very least, it feels a little bit opportunistic, right? And that's just the beginning because we have more Manson conspiracy theories on the way. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just 20 
$25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Welcome back. Welcome back. So next on our list of Charles Manson conspiracy theories, this one involves the Process Church and the famous Church of Scientology. Don't sue us. No, please. <laughs> Process Church of the Final Judgment. Don't sue us. Whew. So when Manson was transferred to a federal penitentiary at McNeil Island in Washington in uh, 1961, he claimed to be a Scientologist. Uh, people who support this theory pointed out that Manson maintained contact with members of the Process Church, which is sort of like a like a Protestant Reformation style offshoot of the Church of Scientology, but even darker, which is hard to believe. Yeah. Um. And uh, oh, even darker, darker than you know Scientology. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Huh? We're cool saying that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. I think we can – yeah, because look, none of this is slander or libel and we'll definitely 
will definitely also, to be fair, uh, present what the Church of Scientology themselves say about Manson. Okay, okay. The Process Church of the Final Judgment. They really got you spooked, huh, man? Yeah, man. Yeah. And the Process Church of the Final Judgment is a uh, very... Uh, very strange, very intense thing. You can see some earlier episodes that we did, um, both video and audio on the allegations of the process church. It's earlier alleged involvement with serial killers. Yes. Circling back. But for now, suffice to say, people who believe that Manson was a member of Scientology of the process church, uh, they, they say that he maintained contact with these organizations while they were incarcerated and they think he learned a lot from them. Yeah, it's also believed that the indoctrination techniques that Manson was using on his followers, he learned a lot of those. Perhaps he didn't get them from MKUltra, but maybe he got them from Scientology or process church members or maybe even other intelligence agencies or perhaps the CIA prior to him uh, being incarcerated. And the other place, it must be mentioned that there is, again, no solid evidence of Manson's involvement with the process church of the final judgment. However, there are multiple instances of Manson studying Dianetics, which is the thing on which Scientology uh, was created of, or based and born, um, and even Scientology itself. And uh, to... Assuage, uh, Matt Spheres here. Before we get sued, we want to point out the Church of Scientology's perspective. They maintain that Charles Manson was never a member of the organization and they have spent significant amounts of money attempting to convince people that their stance is correct. Oh. It's a very important point to them. That is, yeah, they, they've invested mm. in making sure that this is true. And there's, you know, there's, there's logic here because reading the Bible doesn't automatically make one a Christian. Correct. Right. Um, just like reading Scientology literature wouldn't automatically make one a Scientologist. Correct. And being, let's say, uh, having a Bible doesn't mean you're a Christian. And it's an interesting point that you bring up there, Matt, because Scientology literature and an e-meter were both found at the Spawn Ranch. Ah, now those, I'm fairly certain at the time, that was not a cheap thing to come by. An e-meter, yeah. I imagine, I don't know the going rates from e-meters, but mm -hmm. we all know what those are, right? Yeah, the little tin can looking things on wires connected mm -hmm. to kind of a, almost like a radio tuner looking device, which I think essentially was almost like a measured electromagnetic current mm -hmm. like in your body essentially yeah. mm -hmm. and you have to think you're talking about the spawn ranch that's where there are a lot of people coming and going oh sure right and you've also got the ton of family members yeah. could have been just another member of the family could have been somebody who showed up maybe a scientologist showed up mm -hmm. and he never left Oh, wow. So that's an allegation of another, maybe. An no, I just mean he became part of the family. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. I was thinking you were alleging a, a Manson murder. Another I don't one. know. But also, you know, we have to remember that this was, uh, this part of the world at this point in time was an eclectic mix of people. Mm -hmm. uh, however, the prosecutor, the author of Helter Skelter does note these events and does say that it's inarguably true that Manson and members of the family did run into members of the Process Church, members of the Church of Scientology. Mm -hmm. And 
it it seems like from what we could find that the primary objection the Church of Scientology itself will have is when people say Manson was a member, yes. which he wasn't. Reading a book doesn't automatically make you a member of something. Mm. And they did find that stuff at the ranch. Hmm. It's true. It's yep. true. They found it. Uh, there's another thing that I thought was really interesting. I don't know um, how much uh, you guys have looked into this, but Tex Watson, Charles, quote, Tex Watson, wrote extensively uh, after his incarceration and conviction about the his his life with Manson and mm-hmm. about the situation as it escalated and how everything went down at the trial. And one thing that he mentioned that launched a thousand ships, a thousand ships of stories, okay. like, like some twisted Helen of Troy, was the idea that there was something strange about the drugs they were doing, Ooh. specifically something called Orange Sunshine, which was a type of LSD. Or was it? Wait, you're saying it could be something else, Ben? Well, I'm I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) It's no secret that the Manson family used copious amounts of drugs, especially hallucinogens, LSD, maybe mescaline, stuff like that. Mushrooms. It's a way to open yourself up to the Godhead, to the world, and get rid of that ego. Which seems weird, right? Right, right. That, uh... The path to enlightenment is uh, to send the self into oblivion. Yeah. But then for somebody who appears to be a megalomaniac like Charles Manson, who's leading his flock, maybe the idea is to get your followers to do that. Right. So that you become the godhead. Uh, right. Like you are you. Uh, wait, you are me. I am you. But someone's driving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's – yeah, it is a contradictory, strange thing. For decades, there were allegations that – there was something wrong with or, or something off mm-hmm. about this uh, particular brand of LSD. And I, I don't um, – you know, I'm not a chemist. I've never made LSD. I was under the impression that LSD is LSD is LSD. Like a rose is a rose is a rose. The only thing I could think of is that maybe it was combined with some other substance where it still has, you know, the qualities of LSD, but maybe it has some other additive that um, changes the perception of, you know, or changes the way the LSD acts on your on your mind. Because I know you can combine it with things like PCP or even other hallucinogens that could change the the experience so it could be like a like a cocktail of drugs i think so yeah i mean you know it's like uh it's delivered on pieces of blotter paper so you could you could any any uh drug that could be distilled into a liquid it could be like double dipped i guess they're dipping these paper these sheets of lsd or sheets of blotter paper into the concoction they could dip it into one thing and then into another thing in theory whoa well we have some background on this oh yeah lay it on me well, Orange Sunshine, this uh, particular brand of LSD, was manufactured and distributed by a fun group known as the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. You should do their ads, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> they operated out of this, uh, it was, I guess, a beach resort near L.A., Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds pretty swanky to me. They, uh, they counted this gentleman named Ronald Stark among the associates, the people they uh, work with. And this gentleman is believed to have manufactured 50 million doses of LSD. Oh, and there's one other thing. What's that? 
he had known connections to the CIA. Wait a second. Right, right. Smuggling, I think it was. Uh, the, there's a weird side note here. We have to. Yeah. Take. Okay. So I fell deep into the rabbit hole of LSD distribution gangs, which are a huge thing. It's or not just the, the Grateful Dead uh, revival concerts and everything? There is actually. It was referred to as the Hippie Mafia, the Grateful Dead Family, or GDF. And yeah. then you can apparently see a lot of people at uh, rainbow gatherings um, and different counterculture mm-hmm. events who are claiming to be part of this family. The Brotherhood of Eternal Love started out, from what I could tell, as people who were still very much into the – positive energy of the summer of love and they they thought you know uh it was almost a moral or ethical duty to distribute dose as many people as possible right so it wasn't about the money at the beginning but of course it became about the money later and it's strange because a lot of these organizations still exist on the fringes just under the surface of American society just slightly out of the frame mm-hmm. of the nightly news. But it's it's very real. And the conspiracy theory is this, that the CIA purposefully manufactured a different kind of acid, maybe something like Noel is, Noel is referencing, or perhaps a, a different sort of hallucinogen altogether mm-hmm. that people thought was LSD when they took it, and that the CIA knew this would have dangerous deleterious negative behavioral effects. And we can't uh, use that word conspiracy theory uh, with enough emphasis right here because that's what it is. But there are some things we can look into. Yeah, yeah, totally. We can bust uh, a couple of myths here because we were able to trace back the the seed of how this began. And then it leads us to some questions that, that we hope you will help us with. Mm-hmm. First four decades, people have argued that the orange sunshine stuff wasn't LSD at all, but instead it was some other similar chemical, right, Mm -hmm. with uh, notably different and dangerous effects. So the lab created, I don't know, Frankensteining of hallucinogen. Yeah. Which is a thing that happens more and more today. You hear about things like bath salts or all of these lab chemicals, which some of them originate in legitimate institutions of learning like um you know as experiments that then get taken off site and mass produced uh and apparently uh, th- these days a lot of LSD is in fact some sort of analog uh, mm. that's produced in a lab so it's interesting I, I didn't realize that was possible you know back then it's like wow. a chemical cousin right yeah i think it, it it's similar but it's also like it can have very negative side effects so the effect is also different. The effect is different, but it's similar enough that someone doing it that didn't know better might be, you know, <laughs> convinced that they, they actually, you know, got the genuine article. Oh, wow. I have this picture of somebody spending like three days naked in a corner, clawing their eyes, clawing at their eyes <laughs> and going, why do people like acid? <laughs> it's, um, it's true though. It's absolutely correct. There's a weird and continual kind of uh, race or one-upmanship occurring between the legislative powers of various world governments and the chemists. Because if you if you pull that little vanilla ice move, um, remember when what was that beat he ripped off? 
Do, 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 it was do, do, uh, do. under pressure. No, it doesn't like go like queen. that. It goes like this. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Missing a pickup note. <laughs> so, so, um, we're, we're referencing this, uh, this hilarious interview with Vanilla Ice on VH1 at some point where he was defending, I don't know if it was VH1, but he was defending, um, the sample that he used and said it was not under pressure because as, as Matt Noll pointed out, one beat was removed. It appears that chemists have done that mm-hmm. with synthetic drugs and, if you change a drug, you can have similar effects, but it becomes a different thing. So technically speaking, it's not illegal until someone makes it illegal or passes a a, um, a law with a wider scope, right? So while people were taking this orange sunshine LSD or whatever it was that flooded the market – Various terrible things happened, including the Manson family activities and the concert, the uh, infamous. Yeah. yeah. That was the Rolling Stones, right? Where, right, with the uh, Hells Angels as security, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. And things went south really quickly, and people who believed there was something sinister about Orange Sunshine, other than the fact that it was apparently massively powerful – uh, LSD, uh, they, they think that Orange Sunshine was also responsible for the, um, disasters that occurred at Altamont. And what, uh, what exactly happened? There was Rolling Stones of Hells Angels, right? Well, yeah, the Hells Angels stabbed somebody to death, like in the crowd. Yeah, someone who was coming towards the, uh, the Hells the Angels stage. were, uh, uh, bouncers, more mm-hmm. or less, or they were like the security. And yeah, I believe they literally stabbed someone to well, death. Yeah, and then there also happened to be, I think, two or three other people that died, uh, apart from that at the concert. I want to point something out too. Like, we're talking about the effects that, you know, tainted psychedelic drugs could have, or some of these copycat lab chemical psychedelic drugs can have, but also just, you know, regular run of the mill LSD affects different people. Quite differently depending on their mental state. Yeah. So if you're already mentally not well, uh, and you, you have a, an acid trip, mm-hmm. you could potentially, that could push you in a, in a violent direction, even if it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with the, you know, chemical makeup of the drug yeah. at all. The only thing I would say, Noel, is that I don't think it's necessitated that you are, mentally unwell to have a negative time taking a hallucinogen. You could have a bad setting, right? Yeah. Set and setting could be bad. You could just have a really bad day. I, I totally agree with you. I guess all I'm getting at is if you're already kind of on the edge mm-hmm. uh, and and maybe preparing to – or capable of doing something horrendous mm-hmm. or heinous like the, the Manson crimes – being on psychedelic drugs certainly wouldn't help. It's not like yeah, it's going to yeah. soften you and all of a yeah. sudden make you cool and chill. Like it's going <laughs> to, it might, may well push you right over the edge. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. And here's another, another seed mm-hmm. for this orange sunshine conspiracy. So a lot of the members or many members of the Brotherhood of Eternal Love and related organizations got busted, right? And several defendants, including Nicholas Sand and Tim Scully were on trial for possession, distribution, related charges. They argued in a very vanilla ice way, mm-hmm. no, Your Honor, we did not manufacture LSD-25. Instead, we manufactured something called ALD-25, which changes into LSD maybe, 
okay. when, when consumed, but doesn't, it's, you know, Star Wars, uh, Jedi, hand wave, this is not the drug you're looking for, let us go. And also, do you guys want some LSD? That's probably how it went. <laughs> you got some? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Do you want some ALD that will become LSD after you ingest it? So this was later disproven, uh, and it was disproven in a extremely conclusive way because the guys who were on trial said, no, we had just said that to dodge the charges. Wow. We had just gone, uh, no, your honor. Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> um, oh man. I've also heard that you can, you can find stories of the CIA, um, like purposefully financing the mass production and distribution of this drug LSD. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we've yet to really find any concrete proof of these claims, but it, it has to be said, it's inarguable that the CIA was using at least using LSD experimentally at this time. And there's another question too, when, when it goes back to, when it, when it goes back to the, the idea of intent, mass mm-hmm. production, distribution, what does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that if, uh, the, the four of us were CIA agents, it doesn't mean we were going out and flashing our, uh, CIA credentials and saying also, hello, fellow kids, yeah. here are, here are, uh, drugs. You know, inject one marijuana and have a unit of fun. No, this kind of operation, were it to occur, would almost certainly have occurred through proxies, right? Um, The organizations typically want to keep their hands clean when they're breaking the laws they are supposed to enforce. Yeah, that is an interesting quandary, though. If you are an, an intelligence agency and you want to do some experiments with a large amount of some illegal substance, where do you acquire that substance? Mm-hmm. And that question, I guess, like you're saying, Ben, it just it depends on how far you're willing to bend the the rules and the laws. Right, right, exactly. And that's why it's important for us to say we have no – we don't have concrete proof of it. And mm-hmm. you'll, you'll read a lot of uh, things in the echo chamber of the internet that say it's absolutely certain – but it all goes back to primary sources, right? Mm-hmm. And another difficulty, another complication in tracing these kind of stories is that if something like this occurred, it almost certainly would not have been, you know, recorded in a clear paper trail. No. It would have been like uh, U.S. American Freedom Airlines to transport 15 tons of avocados or something, you know. And additionally, we know that Orange Sunshine has been claimed, like Noel already mentioned, claimed to be a cocktail of sorts, right? Uh, You'll see people saying that it was actually mescaline, but in both cases, at least as far as we can find, it appears that later drug dealers just made something, made whatever they wanted, called it orange sunshine because they could sell it more easily, right? And for mm-hmm. a higher price. So, you know, we're not we're not big fans of passing personal judgment on people. If you what you do with your time is your own. But if someone tells you they're selling you orange sunshine, you know, just just think, keep your wits about you. That's and it a, sounds so pleasant. It, it really does, does. Doesn't it? It really really does. Hey, 
do you remember that question or that, that statement we made early on that we were going to need your help with something? Oh, yes. Well, it's time. And now to the question. <laughs> so we promise not to identify you. We're not going to incriminate you. No snitching. No, no. If you do choose to respond to the, the following, do you believe there are different types of LSD with different effects as we were discussing? Or is it simply a matter of purity, like how intense of a dose or how much of a dose? Do you think that some sort of LSD could actually purposefully drive someone mad or, you know, cause them to act in a way that would be violent? Or would that require some third party, some second substance when it was uh, to be used with LSD? Or maybe a, another, just another variable, like a pre-existing mental condition. Hmm. Let us know. Send us an email at conspiracy at howstuffworks.com, right? Yeah. And while you're uh, banging out those emails, let's take a quick sponsor break. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. 
Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Oh, and now uh, we come to one of the things that fascinated me the most. And I, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if this is a well-known thing. Our next question is, who was Paul Crockett? I have to admit, I did not know much about Paul Crockett. I have seen his name in passing before uh, when researching this, but I didn't I didn't know much until you sent an article out, Ben. So remember that odd new agey quote from the beginning of part one of this episode? It comes from this man named Paul Crockett. And Wait, wait. I think we need to revisit it. Great idea, Matt. Everything that we do is from some agreement that we have set up. Everything that we have in this physical universe is something we have laid out and agreed to. Most people never set time limits to their agreements, so they are forces that continue with no end. That quote comes from a man named Paul Crockett. He is one of the great unsung heroes of the Helter Skelter tragedy. You've definitely heard of Manson and could probably name several of his followers, but this is a very strange wrinkle to the story, one that you won't find in the majority of reports regarding the family. Paul Crockett, you see, was one of the closest things Manson had to a neighbor out there on the ranch, Mm -hmm. and he was working as a gold prospector, but he was a lot of things. He was a artist of sorts. Philosopher. A philosopher. Uh, a World War II veteran. Yeah. And very similar to Manson, he was a mystic, a student of the all arts, esoteric and occult. He was the child of a preacher and a school teacher. And to him, the search for gold in Death Valley was an alchemical process. Yeah. He was ruminating on the nature of reality, on the great work, capital G, capital W, and he saw reality as a web of agreements, both acknowledged and unconscious. During eight months over the spring and summer of 1969, Paul Crockett developed a rapport with members of the Manson family who were dissatisfied or felt they were on Mm -hmm. the fringes. Um, Two in particular, Brooks Poston and Paul Watkins, met him as they were when they were sent out as a scouting party get mm-hmm. the lay of the land right <laughs> they just, they found old paul crockett just probably digging away or working on some dirt trying to get that gold what a Jungian joseph campbell archetype right yeah the, the old wise man right uh and he was about 50 at the time he was no stranger to programming techniques he was familiar with scientology and he immediately saw that poston and watkins had been stripped of their egos They were unable to think independently. They were bound in a very real way to the will of Manson. They had been subsumed. 
And then he, he says that he discovered Manson had programmed all his people to the extent that they're just like him. He's put all kinds of things in their head. I didn't believe it could be done, but he has done it and I've seen it working. So he said about deprogramming these family members that would visit him. First, first things first, this is so weird. It was apparent to them that they thought Manson had supernatural powers. Yes. He told them that he believed them. Because he, like Manson, possessed extraordinary powers. But of course. And he said he could and would use these to set up a psychic barrier around his camp to prevent Manson from visiting without agreement or permission. That is really cool. Can we go into some of his uh, purported superpowers that he talked about? Yeah, please do. Um, so one of the reasons that Paul Crockett became what he became was because he had some experiences that the church and the, uh, you know, the teachings in school couldn't, they, they couldn't explain fully to him. So, uh, this one time when he was 15 years old, he said he was hurled from a speeding car. And as he was following, I'm going to read this quote, all sound ceased and time seemed to slow down. I reached my hand out but quickly withdrew it when I felt the pain as it neared the ground. I held my arms in close to my body which seemed to be enclosed in what I later came to call a force field. When I finally landed in the gravel along the side of the road, I wasn't even scratched. I just stood up to brush myself off but discovered I wasn't even dusty. So uh, he can make use of force fields. That's one. I mean, I think that's a superpower, right? Ben mentioned uh, that our protagonist here was uh, involved in World War II, and he was flying in an aircraft. He was a navigator in a B-24, and apparently his aircraft came under heavy artillery fire, and some of that shrapnel went through the aircraft. Essentially, he says, at least according to him, where it should have impacted him, but somehow it did not. And again, it was one of those things where time... Uh, Time slowed down, all the sound went away, and he was okay. So he maybe he truly believes that he has some kind of superpower or connected to something larger than himself. Certainly, yeah. It is it is sincere rather than cynical. Mm -hmm. I, I would agree with that. So he put these family members into a regimen of taxing physical work. Do this and do this with me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And he started by saying, follow me on these physical actions, because that's one thing they could still do is follow people. And then he retaught them how to think outside. So the Manson family metaphysical rap is very much about um, we are all one. We are all God. It doesn't matter if you kill someone because you're killing yourself, you're killing God. Uh, and there is no moment other than now. So he retaught them to think outside of this cognitive box by using goal-setting methods, right? Not what is it now, I am you, you are me, but hey, what do you want to do tomorrow? We should, you know, we should have a, a measured set goal. And he he still couldn't say exactly what Manson had done to the followers, but he thought it was very real. And eventually in an interview, you can read how he tries to articulate it, goes sort of through a word salad, and then just shrugs and says, I can't explain it. It's all part of the occult. Wow. That's really crazy. So, I mean, did Manson himself purport to be – to have some sort of Aleister Crowley-esque communion with, you know, the dark arts? Or was it more 
psychological for him. I, I, it's interesting to hear from this person's perspective saying this is definitely what it was, but I don't really recall seeing any quotes from Manson saying he said, do something witchy, make it witchy. But that was almost like as a manipulation. Right. Yeah. He never, it's a great point because he never went out and said, you know, like I am the dark Messiah, you know, slouching toward Bethlehem, but he was just going to be one of the fine, the five major beings that existed. Him and the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's weird because he never said that. He did the powers or the realizations that he ascribed to himself were much more messianic in nature. Because mm-hmm. he gets kind of lumped in with you know satanic Satanism and the occult and you know that kind of stuff. And, and if if there's any kind of odd romanticization of him, it's usually from. Uh, you know, stuff like Marilyn Manson or the idea that he was some kind of satanic uh, Superman that could, you know, control people with mind powers or, you know, spells. But that's really not what he was doing or even what he claimed to be doing. Yeah, it does appear that he did have a grasp on people, but you're right. It was not some kind of like occult thing. You know, they weren't drawing pentagrams and, and uh, burning things in a ritualistic fashion. He strikes me as a very cynical figure. I think so too. Ideology seems very fluid for yeah, him. Yeah. Whatever serves Whatever it the takes. Purpose. Yeah. yeah. Even you see the interviews with him in prison and again he's and is there any kind of like information out there has he been psychoanalyzed when he was when he was incarcerated? Mm-hmm. Like is there a diagnosis for his condition that we can point to? There are uh there are numerous diagnoses. Um, I, I found some stuff when he was a kid where they said he's got slightly above average intelligence, mm-hmm. which also differentiates him from a serial killer. Right, right, right. right. I don't know. You're totally on point about that at the, from the top of the show. I'm just wondering, like, did he – because in prison, when you see him giving these interviews, mm-hmm. he seems like he's on drugs or something. But you know he probably isn't. Yeah. I would I would love to see, you know, an official prison psychologist. Yeah. Diagnosis. At the same time, drugs are readily available in prison, so there's really no reason to believe that he might not have been on drugs during some of those interviews. Uh, But I don't know. It's just interesting because he just seems to me just to have been a person that wanted what he wanted for himself, and he wanted to twist people's um, minds and and make them do dance like his little puppets. He real. That's that's the weird thing. MK Ultra tried to make Manchurian candidates. Manson succeeded. Wow. And, well, I mean, he didn't have the trigger word, I guess. That's why they were learning everything from him while he was incarcerated that next time. Ah, that's a very disturbing theory. Yeah, I I would love to see a diagnosis, you know, because there had to be something. Everyone who encountered the guy talked about this palpable aura that he had about him. Even the uh, prosecutor who wrote Helter Skelter. So... Crockett and Manson did meet and interact. They were neighbors. And Crockett would Crockett would coach the people under his protection about how to how to deal with Manson. And this is why the agreement quotation from earlier is very important because he would caution them not to agree to anything, don't accept anything, sort of like the old folklore rules about what happens if you wake up in uh, fairyland, right? Yes. Uh, don't accept, eat, 
don't accept food or drink. Don't right? make any deals or agreements. Yeah, it's like that scene in Pan's Labyrinth where uh, when she eats the grape and things happen. Mm-hmm. Is that the hand-eye monster? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the pale man is what they call him. Which is great. I still want to know that guy's backstory, you know? The it character? Was, it was yeah. pretty obvious. There was a stack of kids' shoes. Yeah, and there's all these, like, pictograms all over the place where he's, like, clearly an eater of children. Yeah. But mm-hmm. to what end, though? To what end? <laughs> what the dickens, pale man? Ugh. Yeah, so the family followers would watch, and Manson in – there's there's this parable-like quality to it because Manson would send uh, – let's say a female member of the family that uh, to to bring back one of the people following Crockett into the fold if they knew they had a previously existing sexual or romantic relationship. Wow. And he and Crockett, Manson and Crockett, would engage in these hour-long, abstract, esoteric debates as sort of a, a wizard's duel, mm-hmm. this mental chess game. And it would be about the nature of power, agreement, consciousness, and ego. And I want to, I want to read, um, I want to read just one part here from my life with Charles Manson. Often Charlie would engage Crockett in verbal exchanges, which sometimes lasted for hours, but Crockett played it perfect. He did not fight with Charlie, nor openly disagree in a way that might provoke anger. He merely expressed opinions which left Charlie utterly flabbergasted. Crockett later confessed that he and Charlie shared many of the same opinions about the world, but that Charlie had a hole in his humanity. And then you'll see these different exchanges where Charles Manson goes, well, look, I'm you, you're me, and, you know, it's all one, baby, dig it. And Crockett would just sit there and wait a second and then say, well, I admit that we are similar in that we – I say I agree that we are similar in that we are entities experiencing similar stimulus stimuli, uh, but we have experienced different stimuli, which means I am not you and you are not me. And he would just say, so he kept his calm, and apparently this not only irritated the ever-loving Christ out of Charles Manson, but it also convinced Manson that Crockett had power. So Manson began to believe that Crockett had some sort of wisdom that he could teach Charles Manson. So Manson certainly had some paranoia, paranoid qualities to him, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we may never know the full details of these interactions, uh, but one thing's for sure. Paul Crockett was like a Jedi fighting the Sith using the same techniques, uh, the same source techniques that Manson used. And he managed to save several people from the Manson family and perhaps to prevent the spread of further horrific crimes. But, you know, going to that point about Manson's paranoia, which was skyrocketing at this stage in the game or this stage in the story, we also have to wonder what stopped Charles Manson from just killing Paul Crockett? Yeah. The way they kill everyone else. And it, it also, or what stopped him from making his followers do it? And then I still feel like there's something to the connection there. It just seems like a strange and massive coincidence for, of all people in this very isolated part of the world, for this one guy to be there at exactly that time. It's a father figure, man. I think that's what it is. It's a father figure thing? I think so. Just from what we know about the background, 
of Charles Manson and having someone intelligent that seems like he might be able to teach you something, even though you feel like, you know, you're the most brilliant mind in your general surroundings. Mm -hmm. I bet that's what it was. That's insane. And so we'd love more information about Paul Crockett. If you happen to know it, uh, he has passed away. Uh, he did for a time have a sort of new age philosophical website, uh, in which you could find more information about him and his beliefs. But for now, this concludes our story of Charles Manson. And I don't know what you guys think, but it, it seems strange to end with conclusions. I feel like maybe we could end with questions. Okay, yeah. Uh, why don't we? Um, why don't we just ask them? Do you think there's any sand to the arguments about the occult and hypnotic practices that we've been discussing in these two episodes? The Do you think there is a way to breach the veil somehow and cause someone to either believe or do something that they wouldn't have done without your interaction? I don't know. What do you think? Ben and I were hanging out the other night and we were talking about Darren Brown and uh, the skills possessed by um, these folks that call themselves mentalists where they can implant suggestion into people's minds and kind of cause them to act in a certain way. And with Darren Brown, it's usually in the service of a lovely magic trick, you know, kind of thing. But uh, yeah, and that, cameras uh, yeah. and cameras. Well, OK, just putting not, it out not there. all the time, all but the time. most of the time. Point being, these skills exist. And I think Charles Manson was probably practicing some of those more than any kind of real uh, occult manipulation. He was just one of the most effective users of those techniques ever. He had good charisma. Come to the dark side. <laughs> what do y'all think? Let us know about that one. And we asked this earlier, but we'll just hit it again. Do you think it's possible that something other than ordinary LSD was at play? Mm. Um, and, you know, to piggyback on the previous question we asked, do you think there are different types of LSD that have different effects and some of them could be more nefarious than others? And finally, do you think there are dangerous cults like this that are still active in the U.S. today? Let us know. Yeah, let us know. I'm going with almost certainly on that third yeah, one. For sure. And uh, oh, hope, I hope we can learn about them before some sort of disaster occurs. You can reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are Conspiracy Stuff. Instagram, we are Conspiracy Stuff Show. And uh, we, if you don't want to do any of that stuff, you can also do it the old-fashioned way. How do we do that, guys? Write us an email. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. 
With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 